Let your kingdom come. Let your will be done. Let your glory shine, O Lord. Let your kingdom come. Let your will be done. Let your glory shine, O Lord. Lord, come into this place.
These guys need a great hand because they just learned that this past Wednesday night, and they did a great job with it, I think. So uh, I threw it on them at the last second, right at the end of choir. They had two times to go through it, and I thought they did great. But that's what it's all about. We're here to let, let his glory shine through us. We come into this place, fill our, fill our cups, and then it overflows as we walk beyond these doors. Let's stand together, and let's sing a great hymn. We have heard the joyful sound that Jesus saves, Jesus saves. Because 
I was bragging so much on you guys this week and, and how many people were in the early service and then how many people were in the, in the afternoon or the 11 o'clock afternoon. It feels like afternoon already. But uh, how many people were in the 11 o'clock service? So I have some guys that just didn't believe that that all happened. They said, oh, you're going to get fewer in this service, more in that service. I said, I'm going to take pictures this week. So everybody smile real quick. living proof and so uh, I'm going to share that this week all my friends and guy and fr friends of mine that have churches and they do two service and they, they always gripe about that early service they'd rather have everybody in the, in the late service but I tell you y'all are such a great group I want to teach you a new song today <clears throat> comes from Psalms the 18th chapter it just simply says the Lord is my rock he is my shield he is my fortress he is my salvation he is my strength. And when, when the snares of death start to round, go around me, I can cry for my Lord for, to help because he never moves. He was the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. His grace will always be with us, and he's always there for us. So let's, let me sing this for you, the first, song, first verse, and then I'll get you to join in on the next one. He is my rock. My shield, my fortress, he's my salvation and my strength. The cords of death, they were surrounding me, but he heard my cry for help. Sing it with me. He is my
Well, good morning and welcome to First Baptist Pineville. Aren't you glad you're here this morning? Enjoy the music this morning. We're so glad that you're here. If you're a first-time guest, we're honored by your presence this morning. And you'll see inside of the bulletin a little blue card. If you'd like to fill that out, we'd like to learn more about you. You can turn that in at the end of the service. And also, you can get a copy of our pastor's free book and also get a chance to meet him in the service. We'd love to visit with you and meet with you. So if there's also any prayer requests or anything that you're dealing with in your life, go ahead and fill that out. We as a staff, we're praying for those as well in our weekly staff meeting. We're so glad you're here this morning. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Most gracious and heavenly Father, we thank you for another day you've given us. We thank you for the innumerable amount of blessings that you give us, Father. We thank you for loving us. We thank you for giving us your love and your grace and your forgiveness. I pray this morning, Lord, that you be with those here today that are hurting, those that are seeking answers. Help them to know the truth, Jesus, that you are the way, the truth, and the life. I pray, Lord, that you would come for those hurting today, Lord. Speak to those in need of a special word. Be with our pastor as he delivers the message you put upon his heart. And now, Lord, we just dedicate this service to you, King Jesus. We worship you, we adore you, and we magnify you. We ask these things in your powerful and holy name. Amen. We sing about the, the great things that God does for us. That he never moves, he never changes. Because it is in him that we're found. So let's stand together. I, if I didn't ask you to stand, I'm afraid you'd be up in just a minute anyway. So let's go ahead. Let's stand together as we sing this together. In Christ alone, my hope is found. He is my light, my strength, my song. This cornerstone, this solid ground, firm through the fiercest drought and storm. Oh, 
Please join me in prayer. Thank you, dear God, for this beautiful day and the blessing of us gathering here together as a church family with our friends and with our guests to worship and praise your holy name. Please be with Pastor Stewart as he brings the message in just a few minutes that his message that you have laid on his heart will, that the words will touch each one of us and bring us closer to us, to, closer to you in our relationship with, to your love. Bless these gifts that are, we are about to give, that they may be used according to your will to help those in need, to help with all the ministries that this church does here and around the world, and to spread the good news of your son, Jesus Christ. And in, it is in his name I pray, amen.
Why can't I walk away from my regret? And why is forgiveness so hard to accept? My past surrounds me like a house I can't afford. But you say, come with me. Don't live there anymore, gentle Savior, lead me on. Let your spirit light my way, gentle Savior, lead me on. Hold me close. Keep me safe, lead me on, gentle Savior. And when I reach the valley every soul must journey through, I'll remember then how well you know Like a trusting child would do and say, Gentle Savior, lead me on. Let your spirit light my way. Gentle In the 17th century, a young boy was born into a Christian home. For the first six years of his life, he heard the truths of the gospel. He was dearly loved by his parents. But tragically and sadly, his parents both died. And the orphan boy was shipped off to live with relatives. And with those relatives, he was maltreated, he was abused, and he was ridiculed for his interest in Christ. Eventually the orphan couldn't tolerate that situation anymore and though still a boy, he fled and joined the Royal Navy. And in the Navy, the boy's life went downhill. He became known as a brawler and 
He was whipped many times. And finally, while still yet young, he deserted the Royal Navy, fled to Africa where he attached himself to a slave trader. And there his life reached its lowest point. There were times when he actually had to eat off the floor on his hands and knees. He escaped that situation, but then became attached to another slave trader and became the first mate on his ship. But the young man's pattern of life had become desperately depraved. Even his rough shipmates found his actions shocking. One day he stole the ship's whiskey, got so drunk that he fell overboard, and he was uh, close to drowning when one of his shipmates harpooned him and brought him back aboard the ship, and he spent the rest of his life with a scar on his side. He could not get much lower. How in the world do you ever climb higher when you can't go any lower? You can't. Because you see, the answer is not in our climbing higher. The answer is in Jesus Christ stepping down and coming lower. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. And through Him all things were made. Without Him nothing was made that has been made. In Him was life and that life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, but the darkness does not overcome it. There came a man who was sent from God, and his name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through him all men might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. For the true light that gives light to every man man, was coming into the world. He was in the world. And though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, and his own did not receive him. Yet to all who received him, to all who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or a husband's will, but born of God. For the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. John testifies concerning him. He cries out, saying, this was he of whom I said, he who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. From the fullness of his grace, we have all received one blessing after another. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but God, the one and only, who is at the Father's side, has made him known. God came near. We have seen that amazing truth as we've journeyed through John's prologue. Chuck Swindoll says that deity funneled itself into humanity. Jesus got in the middle of our business and he loved us enough to get his hands dirty with our sin. And aren't you glad that Jesus came lower 
so that he could then take us higher. Today we're going to look closely and center in on verses 16 and 17 where we see from the fullness of his grace, we have all received one blessing after another for the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. In the NIV, which I'm reading from and I use, they, they try to capture uh, the essence of the text and I think their translation is accurate, but I think a more literal translation is actually more helpful for verse 16 especially. The English Standard Version translates it this way. It says, and from his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. That's nearly word for word for what the Greek says. John is creating a word picture here. He is saying that Christ is like a bucket that is filled to the brim with water. From this fullness, we have all received. It's interesting that this is the only time in his gospel that John uses this word fullness. It's a rather common word in the New Testament, uh, but only here used by John. The Apostle Paul uses it five times in his letters. Three times he uses it to describe the fullness of God that dwelled in Christ. And then in the other two times, he uses it to describe how we too might experience the fullness of Jesus in our lives. But this is the only time where John uses this word talking about complete fullness. And it's likely to give emphasis here at the end of his prologue. So what he's saying is that this bucket of Jesus is the sum total of all that is God. As we saw last week, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. But there's something else interesting as the verse continues. It says, from his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. In this bucket of Jesus is the sum total total of all that is God, but also from the bucket of Jesus flows an inexhaustible source of God's grace. Grace upon grace upon grace. The idea is it never stops. And then John continues in verse 17 by setting up a bit of a contrast. He says, the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Now, that's similar to how he ended verse 14. He said, the word became flesh, made his dwelling among us. We've seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. And now he says, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. So in these verses, we find an important truth about Jesus. And that is that Jesus is the source of overflowing grace and truth. Let's look first at what Jesus supplies, grace and truth. What is, what is grace? Well, the word grace originally meant charm and beauty. And I think that's why so many women for centuries have been given that name of grace. And as I was thinking about it, I thought, you know what? I've never known a mean lady named Grace. They've always had that charm and grace and beauty. Miss, beauty. Miss Grace Lee is here today. Charm and beauty, right? Well, like that word means. So in terms of Christ's work, grace shows the charm and beauty of the love of God. Grace has often been described as when God gives us what we don't deserve. Mercies given is when God doesn't give us what we do deserve, but grace is when God gives us 
what we don't deserve. For example, he offers us salvation for our sin when we deserve condemnation for our sin. So if that is grace, kind of God's riches at Christ's expense, you may have heard that anacronym before. If that's grace, what is truth? Well, the New Testament makes clear that truth is the work of Jesus through the gospel. In John 14, 6, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. So he identifies himself as the truth. But in John 8, 32, Jesus says that we can know the truth. He says, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Now, some people will say, well, that's just talking about like education, get knowledge and training. That's not what it's talking about at all. It's about gaining Christ, the truth of Christ. So we might summarize truth as the work of Jesus through the gospel. So truth is the entire work of God from Genesis to Revelation and everything that correlates with it and corresponds to it and flows in and out of it. So to grasp the wonder of God's grace and truth as they're experienced in Jesus Christ, it's helpful to set grace and truth alongside law and justice. God's amazing love is shown both in his love and in his, in his law and in his grace. And I think that's what John does when he says the law came through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Law is good. Grace is good. Both are part of God's plan and they are indicative of his love. We might describe law as the harder side of God's love. It, it doesn't really seem like love. Law. I mean, it's the, it's the side of God's love that says, don't eat this, eat this. If you do this, there's going to be serious consequences to pay. It's law, even though it's God's love. And on the outside, it doesn't really seem like love. Rules and discipline don't always seem like love to the person receiving them, but love guides law. In the Old Testament, God put his people under law because they were like little children. And when you're raising children, you put them under law. No, you cannot eat ice cream for breakfast. Eat your eggs, right? It's time for bed now. No, you cannot wear your Superman costume to church, right? It's law. And then as the kids grow up and they get a little more freedom as teenagers, you say you may drive your car to school and back and that's it. And we're going to check the iPhone and we're going to check the mileage, I actually was visiting a, a family this week and, and the, there was a dad there and he said, my, my child got their wheels and uh, there were only two rules. No one rides in the car with you and you go straight to school and back. And they broke both, the, both of those rules in the first week. So they don't have a car already. There's law, right? Here's what it is. And if you break the rule, there's law. When you break it, there's punishment. Childhood then is full of statements like, but mom, but dad, that's not fair. A parent may spank his child and the child think, this sure doesn't seem like love. And it doesn't. <laughs> but it is. Because 
It's the hard side of love. It's the corrective side. A, a child has to be trained to make good, godly decisions. And that's what God did through the law of Moses. He put them under training. But through Jesus, he brought grace and truth. On this side of the cross, the people of God are not little children, but like a young adult who is preparing to leave home. There comes the point in every person's life where they leave home. Well, at least for most people, some boomerang back and stay a while. And if, if, if you're 30 and living at home still, you're a loser and you need to, to get some law and go get out of your mom and daddy's house. But most people, most people leave home. And when they leave home, mama and daddy don't he hover helicopter parent around them going off to college or to the workforce, do they? No, mom and dad say, remember what we taught you. God bless you, right? And remember what we taught you captures this whole body of law over here. Sure, it's, it's the things like remember to love Jesus and live for him. But there's a lot of practical stuff too, like remember to brush your teeth at least twice a day so your teeth don't rot out. And be sure to put the toilet seat down or else your wife will kill you one day. And be sure that you don't drive 95 miles an hour down the road. And all these kind of law, law, laws that have been trained for, for 18 years or so then become just a statement. Remember what we taught you. That's because as a young adult and a young adult in Christ and on the, this side of the cross in Christ, you have the Holy Spirit. You don't need the law telling you what to do, where to go, what, what's going to happen. If you don't, the Holy Spirit can guide you. That's why Jesus could say, keep in step with the Spirit and leave it at that. Because the Holy Spirit guides you into truth. He guides you in the direction you need to go. He guides you in the will of God. The children of Israel had to obey the law whether they liked it or not, whether they understood it or not. They were like children who were told to wear this and not that, brush your teeth, take a bath. And parents are met with, why do I have to do that? That's not fair. That's not love. And God was met with the same kind of things. But with the coming of Jesus, the people of God no longer seek to obey the law like children. We seek to answer the love of God like mature sons. But law was necessary. And grace is made richer because of law. And law teaches us our need for grace. And grace makes us grateful that Christ fulfilled the law. You know, I'm pretty happy that I'm a preacher on this side of the cross instead of a priest on that side of the cross. Because I just get to tell people the good news of what Jesus did for them as the Lamb of God instead of having to stand there all day every day and receive all those lambs and slit their throats and bleed them out and, and all that kind of stuff. And I'm pretty happy that as a Gentile believer, I don't have to stay several um, different levels away from God, but I can go all the way up into the Holy of Holies through the great high priest, Jesus Christ. And I can go where even the Jews couldn't go and the high priest could only go one day a year. I can go whenever I want. It's an amazing thing. I'm glad that I walk each day with the Holy Spirit who can teach, who can encourage, yes, who can rebuke and correct and who can train. And if you're a believer, aren't you glad that you get to live that way too? It makes a difference. So to the Jews who would have read this gospel, John was saying, if you think God's giving the law through Moses was a great thing, and it was, 
Well, God has given us a greater gift in Jesus Christ. I like the way that uh, J.C. Ryle puts it. He said this, By Moses was given the law, the moral law, full of high and holy demands and stern threatenings against disobedience, and also the ceremonial law, full of burdensome sacrifices, ordinances, and ceremonies, which never healed the worship's conscience, and at best were only shadows of good things to come. By Christ, on the other hand, came grace and truth. Grace by the full manifestation of God's plan of salvation and the offer of complete pardon to every soul that believes on Jesus and truth by the unveiled exhibition of Christ himself as the true sacrifice, the true priest, and the true atonement for sin. But I love what St. Augustine said. On this verse, he said, the law threatened, not helped. It commanded, not healed, It showed, not took away, our feebleness. But it made ready for the physician who was to come with grace and truth. Let that sink in just a moment. Isn't that a great thing? The the law stopped short, but it prepared us for the grace and truth that was to come. I'm thankful for the law and for grace too. The great Southern Baptist theologian and pastor Herschel Hobbes writes something great about verse 17. He said, when God revealed his law, he did so through a man. When he revealed his grace and truth, he became a man. Isn't that cool? When he wanted to go the extra step, God went the extra step. Grace is wonderful, friends. And as we stand and consider grace, we find that it's God's ultimate love communicated to us in Christ. And and I just want us to take a moment to celebrate that with this little chorus that goes like this. Just join with me in singing it. Grace, grace, God's grace, grace that will pardon and cleanse within grace grace God's grace grace that is greater than all our sin isn't it great it's amazing it's wonderful and so Jesus is this source of grace, and he's the source of truth, but we also said he's the source of overflowing grace and truth. What's that all about? Well, in verse 16, he says, it's from his fullness we have received grace upon grace. And we said that was like, John's idea is like Jesus is a a bucket that is full. But Jesus is really more than just a full bucket. He's an overflowing bucket where there's grace pouring out. But really, he's more than just one where it's kind of tipping out. He's one that has a constant supply that's coming in and he's just overflowing because there's a constant supply of grace coming in that then just rushes out and continues. But as I thought about that, I was like, no, that doesn't even really capture it. I said, Jesus is really like one of those giant buckets at a splash pad that fills up and then he just... Dumps grace and it fills again and it dumps grace. Grace upon grace upon grace and truth upon truth 
upon truth. John is reminding us that Jesus' supply is limitless. Limitless. You can go to him with a need today and he can meet that need and his supply is not diminished. You can go to him with a need tomorrow and he can meet that need and the supply is not diminished. All of us in this room could go to him and meet and have a need met right now and his supply is not diminished because he gives grace upon grace upon grace. The supply is never drained. 500 years ago, the reformer Martin Luther reflected on this and was amazed and in his own way, in his own images, he shares the wonder of this limitlessness of Jesus' grace. He says, this spring is inexhaustible. It's full of grace and truth from God. It never loses anything, no matter how much we draw, but remains an infinite fountain of all grace and truth. The more you draw from it, the more abundantly it gives of the water that springs into eternal life. Just as the sun is not darkened by the whole world enjoying its light and could indeed light up ten worlds. Just as a thousand candles, a hundred thousand candles might be lit from one candle and not detract from it. Just as a learned man is able to make a thousand others learned. So is Christ our Lord an infinite source of all grace. So that the whole world would draw enough grace and truth from it to make the world all angels Yet it would not lose a drop. The fountain always runs over, full of grace. Isn't it amazing? When was the last time you stood under the bucket of Jesus? When was the last time that you allowed that grace upon grace to pour over you? Do you realize that that could be a daily thing? It should be a daily thing. Where you allow him to just pour on you. And, and if you have, if you do, you know it makes a difference in you. And the grace that you receive then should flow from your life into the lives of others. Because you see, as Jesus fills your bucket from his grace, then you fill others' buckets from the grace that you have received. And that's where we start to see again, grace upon grace upon grace upon grace. Grace flows in numerous ways through our lives, through forgiveness and through joy and through words of testimony and through evangelism, through service. And it, it flows from you the way it flowed into you. Grace upon grace. But you know, it's sad that sometimes Christians are the most graceless people. Where God forgets and forgives, we remember and resent. Where God erases, we evaluate. Where God lifts up, we tear down. Where God reaches out, we pull back. And when you think about that, after all the grace we've received, how dare we? How can we do that? When God has poured out his grace and continues to pour out his grace upon us, we are to be fountains of grace. We cannot hold it back. And when we pour out grace, we are most like Christ. And when we are most like Christ, others experience Christ and are drawn to him. And we make him known much as he made the Father known. That's what John says in verse 18. No one has ever seen God. 
But God, the one and only, who is at the Father's side, has made him known. The idea is that Jesus has, the word is exegeted God. Like a preacher exegetes scripture in order to preach it plainly and clearly. So Jesus exegeted God. And every time that we receive his grace and we allow that grace to pour out into others' lives, we too, again, exegete the Father and the Son to those around us. They come to know him through what we do. In Jesus Christ, the distant, invisible, unreachable God came to mankind. And God can never be a stranger to us again. And when we, when we allow his grace to fall, flow through us, we continue to make him known to others. On this climactic note, John concludes his prologue. He began in eternity past with the word in eternity, the creator and the sustainer of all that is. He brought him down to earth where the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us and became our savior and our redeemer, redeemer pouring his inexhaustible grace into our lives that we may pour it into others. And then John will spend the rest of his gospel showing us how Jesus did that. And it's an amazing story. Of what he did. The young man that we began talking about couldn't get much lower. So God came nearer. On March 21st, 1748, there came a turning point day in the 22 year old man's life. In the middle of the night, he was awakened by the cries from his fellow shipmates during a violent storm. As he scrambled up the ladder to get to the deck to take the helm of the ship, the man who was ahead of him was cast off the boat by a crashing wave never to be seen again. But this young man held on, climbed up the ladder, and made his way to the ship's wheel. And there he grabbed it with all his might, holding on for dear life. And in that moment, he raised his head to heaven, not to curse God, but he dipped way down to everything he had learned as a six-year-old boy about the Bible and about Jesus and about God. And he cried out to the Lord, Lord, have mercy on us. And hour after hour, sustained only by his call upon God's mercy, the young man sought desperately to steer the ship while his crewmates worked desperately below to keep the ship from sinking. The storm raged for 11 hours and the 22-year-old held on for all he knew, not knowing whether he would live or die. But finally, the sky began to clear, the waves began to calm, and the prayer for God's mercy was answered. And the young man was marvelously converted to faith in Jesus Christ. That experience became the turning point for John Newton's life. From that day forward, he sought to serve the Lord. He left the slave trade and became an active abolitionist. Where he had experienced grace, he shared grace. He gave his life to the ministry of God's word, helping others to know God's grace. And some years later, in preparation for a New Year's Day service for January 1st, 1773, John Newton penned words that captured the life he enjoyed in Christ. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. As John Newton approached death, he met with one of his best friends and he told him, Although my memory is failing me, I remember two things very clearly. I am a great sinner 
And Christ is a great Savior. It was all because of God's grace, His amazing grace, that broke the chains of sin and caused John Newton's blinded eyes to see. And because of the grace that Jesus poured in and on Him, John Newton poured out grace on others, and He still does today through the words of His song. If you've never received God's amazing grace, can I encourage you to do so today? I'd encourage you to make this day the day of salvation. The day when you realize that you need Jesus Christ to come and save you of your sins. The Bible says that the wages of sin is death. That's what we deserve. That's the condemnation we deserve. But it continues by saying, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. That's where the grace comes in. He says, I want to forgive you. I want to redeem you. And what you have to do to receive that is to give your life to him. Turning it over, saying, Lord, I'm not in control anymore. You are. And I receive that grace. I hope that today would be the day of your salvation. If you're already saved, then I'd encourage you that, that the grace that you're receiving would start flowing from you even more. That you'd start to show that to others in the way you live, even in the way that you sing this song of invitation in just a few moments. As we sing about God's amazing grace and our chains being broken, that you would lift that up as a song of praise to the Lord, knowing that were it not for His grace, there's no telling where you'd be because He has changed everything. And so in a few moments after I pray, we're going to have an opportunity for you to respond to the message. We're going to stand and we're going to sing. And I'm going to be down front. And if the Lord's calling you to salvation, then I'd encourage you to come forward and say, Pastor, I want to trust Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior today. Maybe the Lord's doing something else in your life and, and you want to come be a part of this church family or you feel like God's leading you to make some other decision known or you just need prayer, then I encourage you to come. In just a moment, after we pray, we'll stand and sing this great song of the faith, celebrating who God is and what he's done for us through Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you that you came down and came near so that we can come near to you. I'm grateful, Lord, that we don't have to try to figure out how to climb up to you because we could never do it. None of us are good enough. None of us could do enough. So you stepped down and you dirtied yourself with our sin. Thank you for sending the law so we would know of our sin and thank you for bringing grace and truth so that we might be set free from our sin. And I pray that that's true for people today. Lord, in this room, there's somebody who has never trusted you as their Lord and Savior, and I pray, God, that today would be the day of salvation for them, that they would hear your Holy Spirit speaking to them right now, and they would respond. Lord, there are others who are believers and who struggle with giving grace and showing grace, and so I pray, Lord, that in these moments, you would show them how their bucket can overflow more to others as they receive the grace that's flowing into their lives. But Lord, most of all, we want to celebrate the wonderful grace that you give us. And we pray that it shower in upon us even now. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.